Hi, it's Tardy the Party. He's Bill Long Day. We're going to talk about various pieces of media we missed the first time around. This time, we're talking about 1998 Gus Van Sant movie, Psycho. Uh, uh, <laughs> Starring Vince Vaughn and hey, Julianne Moore. I I hope to God you're fucking kidding. I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Although supposedly, if that remake is as good as it, well, not everyone agrees it's terrible. But if it's mm-hmm. if the if the fidelity is as close to the original film as everyone says it is, it's a shot for shot remake. It should be like watching the same movie, so it really doesn't matter which version we're talking about or had watched, right? Um, all it matters is the cast names. Like instead of yeah, oh hey, I'm trying to think of any any person in this movie who I would even know from any other movie. But <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. my favorite part of Psycho is is when Psycho jumps through the window. Um, yes, yeah. no, it's the Hitchcock version. I'm not that. I'm not crazy. Which I assumed isn't much, just because what was was Dylan for Murder was our first. Um, that was our first and only Hitchcock film before this, right? It is. Not the only Hitchcock film we have done. Oh, shit, that's right. We did... What's his name in that movie? Mozambique. Mozambique. Notorious? Notorious, you did it! Oh, okay. I was wondering if you could be able to do it. You did it. I care a whole... I don't think either of those movies are really bad, but I didn't care too much for them. Sorry, I got a frog in my throat. Uh, we totally didn't lose the five next five minutes of Daniel's. I mean, me, my half. I'm Daniel Rudis. We totally didn't lose the other... Next five minutes of Daniel's half of the podcast. Carry on, Bill. Uh, you okay there, Daniel? Oh yeah, <coughs> I'm I'm fine. I'm just gonna sound. I just might sound a little weird for the next four minutes and thirty seconds. Carry on. Huh. Okay. Anyway. <coughs> yeah, you really did. Yeah, like, yeah, I was kind of surprised it took us this long to do another Hitchcock movie that wasn't notorious. Which I guess I'm just my mind is just just completely discounting its existence. Yeah, notorious was some chicken fried bullshit. It was kind of a slog. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad. That yeah. one for murder. What'd you? Well, I guess we could talk about what we thought about the movie. <clears throat> a little bit. What, what, unless you want to talk about it now, what'd you think of uh, Psycho? Psycho's pretty good. I liked it. My name's Daniel Rudis. I just had a baby. What do you think about it, Bill? Tell yeah, me. me. Me too. I was generally surprised at how. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Psycho, it's got fabulous breasts and a butt that won't quit. And I just want to yeah. take my face I mean, and it's, it's, my it's face towards my There's some. St- the, 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 the gaps between the t- twists are still fun to watch, and yeah, I was generally surprised on how much I really dug this movie. Just... And I didn't take any notes for the film itself, and I literally just finished watching this like 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 ten minutes ago, and so it should hopefully still all be fresh in my brain. Have you seen Psycho before? Uh, no, I had seen big wax of it a couple times as a kid. Like I would see mm-hmm. it like on. See? You know, on cable, or I think I even rented it once or twice, thinking, uh-huh. okay, today's the day I'm going to finally watch Psycho. I've heard uh-huh. so much about it. I've seen big clips about it. I know the stories about the making of it. I've read Will Stephen you? King writes extensively Stop. about Psycho. Let's just finally watch Talking. the goddamn thing and either like would be on cable so it would only catch a little bit of it, or Stupid. I would rent it and just go, oh my fucking god, Son when does anything bitch. start? And of course, I was like Shut sixteen too at the time, so my uh, pen, my my uh, oh, tolerance for slow please. black and white old movies was, was not very high. But um, but yeah, the watching this as an adult, it's I mean, it's no Citizen Kane, but it's pretty good. Yeah, I could kind of see why people say this is not oh, just uh, one of the best movies ever made, but one of the best movies ever made. 
means, because I, I do Wait, like this. I'm a baby. My dad is a ballet dancer. Yeah, although my name is Danny Rudis Jr. Even now, I'm trying to think of any specific problems, oh. and nothing really stuck out to me as like. Well, the whole fucking ending where they keep on the, the, the psychiatrist show. Oh, <laughs> which feels like it was tacked on from another yeah. movie because it goes on for ten minutes. Oh my god! <laughs> Jesus Christ! And the guy's practically just like staring at the audience, going, "Okay, yeah. uh, it's 1960. No one is." No one knows anything about like psycho crazy people or transvestitism or anything. And so we have to explain it like oh, no. I got cancer. Not to, not that I'm equating transvestitism with crazyism either. But you know what I'm saying. People like anything outside of the yeah. norms has to be like laboriously explained about gotcha. watching this movie in nineteen sixty. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty fucking anyway. stupid. Oh, How's God. it start? It starts with the you know, classic psycho theme. Do it, do it. Do we do it? Yeah, it sounds like they've only recorded like one piece of music for this whole movie because it's always do we do we do we do we. That's what I just said. Oh my fucking god, you killed me, Bill. Do we do we? You fucking moron. Oh. <laughs> well, it's got those Saul Bass credits over it because it's all like lines moving yeah, and like, like pooping out the, the the names of the people six, who worked on the movie. Looks like a sixties um, board game. And the movie starts. It's it says Friday the thirteenth. Fuck, I meant Friday the eleventh, but. Uh, get, camera moves across the city. Oh, 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 I got a frog in my throat again. Where oh, two yeah. old-timey people just got done banging and are being all old-timey smoochy and talking all softly like nobody actually talks to each other. Uh, for a film this vintage, though, I'm kind of uh, surprised they... <coughs> I'm kind of surprised they were... Like, they, they were pretty explicit about how these people just fucked in this cheap motel room. Not as explicitly well, as I would love to grab you like by the You're not seeing any real skin or anything like that. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised it. I want, I want to throw fuck you deeply, Bill. So hard. I didn't think about that, yeah. Yeah! Just imagine uh, the throat bulge in your neck shaped like my penis sliding in and out. My oh, balls yeah. almost choking you as they slap I... against your little pig nose. It could be a whole scene. It, it would be grotesque. I'm picturing a sleazier alternate version of this where they're just ganged in the... Uh, they just banged each other in the back of a, like, a gas station or something. Ew, you are fucking gross. They didn't gross. even have the, the, their shit together enough to go to a sleazy hotel, you know? Yeah, I mean, this is actually kind of high class for, you know, fooling around. I guess they don't have uh, spouses or anything like that. They're all by themselves. Yeah. But then you got sexy guy at the window. And he's gonna sit there, look out the window for five minutes, and just talk about how poor he is. Did you know like, this actor? The point, yeah. This actor was up for the role of James Bond before George Lazenby got it. Uh, but anyway, he turns around and says, "Marion, I love your triangular breasts." The 1960s broads. <laughs> at what point did they? What point did men finally realize, and presumably the men who were designing bras finally realized that tits are not shaped like ice cream cones, <laughs> and that maybe you should start making at least some round bras? You have to start. You have to wonder how many men have their eyes poked out until like. Nah, yeah, I guess that wasn't until like 1972 or something. Yeah, it took space age technology to fix bras. Um, but anyway, um, uh, Marion Crane and Samuel, her sexy boyfriend, uh, they keep on talking about how poor they are, but she suddenly decides she has to get up and get ready for work. And, uh, they make kind of, yeah, she talks about having a sister yeah. and she walks Already in the office. Late. They, they do a nice job just setting up the fact she has a sister without, like, uh, leaning on it too hard. But, yeah, yeah, because. So essentially setting up the back half of this film. And so this is the point where, yeah. The rich uh, Texas oil man from The Simpsons shows up rootin' tootin'. If I had taken notes, that would have been the first one of just like... Yeah. I guess that stereotype had to come from somewhere. And, and it comes from I this can maybe, I wonder if this character specifically kind of got the ball rolling on that stereotype. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but it Cowboy comes in, hat and... 
Yeah, he comes yeah. in complaining about how it feels like fresh milk outside. Um, yeah! It's... Where the hell did that come from? That's I've just... never heard that, but it makes sense. If you're talking about fresh milk straight from the cow titty, that would still be warm. Oh, I mean, yeah. And which I thought that was actually really evocative, because then it also suggests the mugginess. What's that? S- steamy titty milk. Yeah, I, I, I guess it makes sense. Uh, yeah, but still, I, do you want to live in a body temperature milk? It still oh. would not be comfortable. Well, you can understand why this uh, phrase didn't catch <laughs> I was just saying, it's not preferable. Yeah. I mean, it's better than, like, steamy scalding hot milk but yeah Ugh. Ugh. i don't even think about that that's fucking disgusting fresh milk all over you i think my voice is clear <clears throat> unless a guy yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe that maybe that guy grew up like uh on a farm with a defective bunch of hot cows that just had just... like extra hot milk I'm just glad that saying never got caught, never caught on. Seriously, that's what if this is Hitchcock, your script sucks. You're not American. <laughs> Stop trying to be American, Hitchcock. Who wrote this film? And Americans say it's hotter than fresh milk, right? <laughs> this is correct. I'm not just making that up, correct? Oh but, God, yeah. Uh, and he tells the ladies that they should have their boss invest in some air conditioning because he can afford it today. And uh, his daughter's getting married tomorrow. She's never had an unhappy day in her life. When he sees unhappiness, he buys it off. Hey, little girl. You unhappy? Huh? Huh? Yeah, he's really uh, leaning into this. Just like... This goes on. This scene goes on for a while. This guy just like fucking with uh, Vivian Lee. Oh, wait. Vivian yeah. Lee, isn't she not... I forgot to look this up. Is she not the mom of uh, Fish Called Wanda? Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis? This is totally the wrong time to bring this up. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Talk about your stuff. Vivian Lee. I'm d- I don't know. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's all being like, hey, he's he's trying to flirt yeah. with her a little bit. In, in front of everybody, too, which is extra just like, ugh. Yeah. He brags about how he's buying his daughter a house for her wedding with $40,000 in cash, which he waves around and just got it. He never carries more than what he'd be willing to lose. Dick is so big. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, this is not Vivian Lee. It's Janet Lee, and yeah, she is the mama of Jamie Lee Curtis, mm-hmm. who was born just two years before this movie came out. Okay, that's interesting. Anyway, but yeah, uh, he he tells her boss he wants a drink, and he says, "Larry, I am dying of thirst, Rooney." Thanks, Ned Flanders. <laughs> Does he actually say thirst, Rooney? He does say thirst Rooney. Does he also whip out his twin pistols and shoot them into the floor while doing like a jug <laughs> a jug band dance? He does. Yeah. He does do that. It's Throws very his hat on the ground. Fucking Dixie mm-hmm. comes playing out music comes playing out of the hat. Oh, okay. Yep. Her boss tells uh, her that he wants the money put in a safe deposit box for the night or whatever and go to the bank. And she's to take it there because he doesn't want to leave it in the office over the weekend. Yeah. So she asks if she can go home after that because she has a slight headache. Did people used to get out of work with slight headaches? I guess women did, especially if there's backup women to like take up the slack. I guess. <laughs> I um... guess it's a slight headache. I don't. I don't. I've never worked for any boss that would be like, "Oh my gosh, you have a slight headache. Go yeah. take the rest of the day off, you poor creature." Um. 
Yes. Or I'm sorry. Was I'm it just distracted. code for? I just realized Discord. We're recording over Discord today, and I just realized there's a thing on the HUD of my Mac that flashes whenever it detects me speaking, and it's just very mm-hmm. alarming. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm being monitored by the FBI as we're recording this. Uh, but this also uh, back to the movie. This also brings up an interesting point that um, we never see her decide when when she specifically decides to steal the money because i thought that the, the, we were leading up to a moment of that because I, I i knew just from the setup of this movie that she ends up taking the forty thousand dollars and run, runs away with it but i thought there would be a moment where like maybe the texan like puts the money on the desk and she has to think about it because you know the, they they were leaning in so thick just the scene before this about how uh sam wants money and she needs money too and if they just had enough money they could run away together um, I, I, you can almost even assume that maybe she knew this deal was coming and she was, this plan was something she already had, uh, going in the back of her head even before this deal was made this morning, but she never says anything yeah, about know. that to Sam in the earlier scene before this. I thought it was kind of no. interesting. They, they never really touch upon exactly when she decides to steal this money, which is, hmm, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she goes home and wanders around in her bra and slip for a little bit because that's just how the ladies rolled back in the day when they're packing. <laughs> more more yeah, ice cream cone titties. Well, that's the thing. I thought that if there was ever going to be a scene where you see her debating whether or not to take the money, it would happen before this because she says she's, she's going to go drop off the money before she heads home. And it just cuts mm-hmm. straight to her already being at home with the money, which suggests that, like, if she, if she didn't even have to think about it. This is all part, just part of the plan. She just even, she didn't even try to pretend that she was going home. She just, or she didn't even try to pretend that she was going to the bank. She just went straight home with the money, and she's already packing. Hey, um, man, this, this movie's gotta move. It's snappy. It's gotta, it's gotta move yeah. through those next, those next 40 minutes where nothing happens. You know what, for a movie where the whole first half of the movie has nothing to do with the second half, really, from a plot perspective, um, I do appreciate, like, this really does feel like you're kind of getting two movies for the price of one, in a good way. Like, yeah. they, they, I can see why people were thrown for a total loop when they first saw this movie in 1960, because the movie commits the idea that the, this is the protagonist, this is the story that we're going to be following for the entire duration of this film, and yeah, this is I appreciate them not fucking around with her story. Like, yeah, they're really committing. And so when the uh, rug gets pulled out from the audience halfway through the film, it must have been like an extra like, what the fuck? Yeah, I have a coworker who was a freshman when this movie came out, and he said he saw it not knowing anything about it, and he said it was fucking buck wild. Yeah, it's like it must have been like the Blair Witch Project of its time or something. <laughs> the perfect. <laughs> I'm just saying in terms of audiences going into a movie not expecting what, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that is a bad analogy, but it's close to what I can think of off the top of my head. So she's skipping town with all that cash. Mm -hmm. And I predict a long and exciting movie for her. Nothing will go wrong at all, and she she will live for an entirety of the film. Yeah. I think the remake... So long as she has that money. I think the only change that the remake makes, the... Who's Gus Van Sant's? Wow, that movie, that remake must have been, must have done so badly for that guy's career that I don't, don't need, I wouldn't even not even remember that guy's name if he had joked about it at the top of the film, uh, at the top of the podcast. Um, But like, I guess that's one of the only changes they made to that script was, in the remake, it's $400,000, not 40, because, you know, he had to Mm, bump up for inflation in 1998 or whatever the hell that was. What? This is, man, that, wait, that would be almost 20 years old. Wait, go ahead. I'm going to look up okay. when that remake came out. Uh, it came out in 1998. Huh. I wonder how close, because we're recording this. That'd be 20 years ago. Let's see when this came out. 
I don't know. Oh, Gus Van Zandt lives. Okay, so we're he, still a year away from that. He lives in Portland. You could always find him and talk to him about it. <sighs> Who? Gus Van Sant. Yeah, that's true. He's homeless now. He dared fuck with <laughs> Hitchcock. Now he paid the price from beyond uh, the grave. Yeah. Yeah. So she just starts driving in her car and has an imaginary conversation with her boyfriend uh, while at a stoplight. This is an interesting thing I wasn't expecting to see in the movie. Especially, Where like, yeah, the conversations sit- are really detailed, too. She's just sitting there staring in the difference at distance, and she's like, Oh, I wasn't expecting you to show up here. What are you doing? Oh, why do you have all the? Where'd all this money come from? Suddenly oh, I love you so stupid. much. Oh. Yeah. Mary, Mary, where'd you get all this money? I sound oh, like a horse, not Jimmy Stewart. Did you rub the moon for me? <laughs> Why is, this, you know, is this all the thing where she starts imagining like everyone's reaction, or is this even? I think there's two scenes like this where she's imagining everyone's yeah, yeah, there's reactions two. Uh, yeah, there's to her, two. which I like to think is actually kind of canonically what would be happening. It's 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 you know it's yeah. her imagining what's happening, but like everyone's voices oh, are had, so peculiar that like I've had so many fake conversations in my car. Come on now, yeah. that's where you have imaginary conversations. That's where you win every argument. Unfortunately, though, she continues to drive, and she starts getting a little dozy, and the next thing well, it starts playing, the moon comes up and starts singing a lullaby to her, and then she suddenly mm-hmm. wakes up and she's driven over uh, Santa's village. Oh, no. Is that the joke from The Simpsons? What? How does that go? <laughs> I don't know. That, that's at least No, he just drives through when... a fence. Yeah. Or maybe, I don't remember, they might have done that joke twice. Anyway, <laughs> She's done that she joke does... a couple times, exactly, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> she might, she does see uh, her boss at a stoplight, and he's like, oh, nods at her, but then he's like, wait a minute. Yeah, and, and he almost stops to say something, but he's he's out, still out with the Texan, and so he can't stop. And so he has to I keep guess, on yeah. going, but it's, it is an interesting moment where you're kind of wondering, like, how's this going to tie into the rest of the plot of the film? Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder, there's a bit in Pulp Fiction where, um, did you, have you seen Pulp Fiction? Long time ago. Bruce Willis ends up double-crossing Marcellus Wallace, his his kind of yeah. gangster boss, and it's almost, I wonder if this is, that that scene is a little bit of an homage uh, to this in Pulp Fiction where <clears throat> Bruce Willis has just ripped off uh, his boss and he's in the middle of driving out of town to get the hell away from his boss when he runs into his boss walking across the street carrying a box of donuts and maybe donuts. just been the insp- I don't think I've got ma- donuts hey I know you and then he <laughs> exactly yeah but anyway but yeah I uh, you should have <laughs> you should have gone with the Simpsons instead of saying that was from Pulp Fiction <laughs> I wonder if the Simpsons episode was you know, there's going to be a couple people who this. their only film references really are just from The Simpsons. I mean, of course, this with, you grew up with The Simpsons. You're not going to get every joke, so, so so sometimes you'll like be watching a movie and didn't realize that like something that happened on The Simpsons was a reference to the movie that you're just watching. Oh, absolutely. You're like, oh my god, that's... Time. Wait, what? Now I get that joke from The Simpsons. But I wonder, yeah. there must be some people out there who just never watch movies, so whenever they watch any movie, they're like, oh my god. Oh my god, half of The Simpsons is just references to old stupid movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway. So, uh, she's driving at night, but she gets sleepy, so she pulls over on the side of the road and goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. In the morning, a cop notices her car, knocks on her window, and she starts sweating bullets right away. Oh Fucking god. doing the very innocent person thing to do of asking, have I broken any laws? Am I free to go? 
Speaking of Homer Simpson, she she fucks this. She's about as bad as Homer Simpson is at the concealing guilt because she does every mm-hmm. possible worst thing you could do to like not arouse suspicion in anyone in you. Uh, I mean, I get yeah. that the movie wouldn't work if if either she or Norman Bates were better at covering their tracks. But still, like, Jesus Christ, lady, she's all, like, she's all, like, shivering and, like, she's kind of blinking and very accusatory towards the cop. And, like, no, I, I haven't stolen any money. What are you talking about? It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Christ almighty. She asks if there's anything wrong. She says there isn't. He has to see her license. And she's like, what? And he's like, yeah, come on. <laughs> and she very casually com- turns her back to the cop and pulls the money out of her purse, which is in a big white envelope. Yeah. She so loudly she says, don't look at this magic money that I s- not stole. I Like, what was the cop going to do? Be like, hey, what's that envelope her. in your purse? Yeah. <sighs> you so think she lo- would have already he- hidden it in a better place other than, the, than a giant sack of a uh, 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 giant like uh, burlap sack with a, do- uh, with a dollar sign screen printed on it, too. You, like, you, yeah. You, yeah, I don't know. But... He looks at her license plate, hands her license back to her, and lets her drive away. Uh, and then intense music kicks in as there's hot action driving the speed limit through town. <laughs> this does go it's, on a while. Just it's, it's very exciting. It's almost as action-packed yeah. as the car chase in Mitchell. Oh, you know, which is funny that you bring up Mitchell because I I know. Okay, I'm just saying, though, but then the guy shows up later, and I was like, I know that I know. guy's face from somewhere, and he turns out he's from Mitchell. I'm just, okay, anyway. I, yeah, I made that, I, I wrote down that reference without even knowing. That's oh. just how how frequently Mitchell is always in the front of my mind. I can't remember if Arbogast the detective in this movie, or not, he's the private eye. I can't remember if he's actually the villain in in, in Mitchell, or if he's just like an, yeah, actually just may play another yeah, detective is. another private eye hired by the bad guys in mitchell but he does like punch mitchell and stuff but yeah yeah he's he's the, the bad guy yeah he's the frog even though dude the from mitchell yeah yeah even though the the movie sets up that uh uh what's his name john or whatever the guy from uh oh yeah the guy who disappears halfway through the Enter movie the dragon yeah at, at the beginning who shoots the guy even though he's he just disappears halfway through because yeah, they exactly, give up on yeah. him Oh god, what's But anyway, we're not talking about Mitchell, we're talking about Psycho. Uh so she is driving, cops driving behind her, he pulls off the freeway and she her her butt unclenches. She pulls off the car lock. Yeah. Power down. She pulls into a car lot. Buys a newspaper as the cop who pulled her over parks on the other side of the road and completely obviously starts watching her, like, stands leaning against his car with his arms crossed, just watching what she's doing. I mean, this is... I mean, I guess he doesn't care about whether or not she knows or not, whether or not he's, like, watching her, but he could have been a little more chill about, like, sneaking up on her like this a little bit, too, because he's just... Yeah, just glaring at her from right across the street. So, the salesman comes out and says, I don't want no trouble. And she's like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Because she, she's rightly confused because he says, there's an old saying, the first customer of the day is nothing but trouble. Which I have never heard that saying, just like I had never saying it's warmer than fresh milk. California in 1960 <laughs> is weird. It's just 
people just make it up shit. Yes. Well, they do that in this movie just to goose the audience a little bit because she's already acting super, super suspicious. And, of course, the first words out of the guy's mouth is like, oh, yeah. I see that you're trouble. And so she's like, oh, who, me? No, not me. I'm not trouble. I have not stolen any money. What are you talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she asks if she can trade her car in for another one. And he's like, yeah, sure. And she's in a hurry. And notices the cop across the street. She asks how much she'll owe after she trades in her car. And he's like, $700. And she's like, fuck yeah, sure. Sure, I won't, get, I won't go. Get, here, go. Yeah. And not shockingly, he starts getting suspicious of her shit right away. Yeah, I do like it kind of insinuates that, like, he knows he was tripping her off by suggesting, like, she also pays $700 on top of the car that she's trading in. So when she just accepts that blindly and just like, okay, yeah, fine, great, whatever, just give me the keys. He's just like, huh, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Because he's just totally expecting her to try to talk him down, and that never happens. And he even says, like, oh, wow, this you're the first customer ever to, like, push me around trying to, like, yeah, it's her, but yeah. Yeah, it's not usual for uh, the customer to push you on the salesman. That's what it is, yeah. Which he uh, recites in her imagination when she gets out of here, too, when she's having a flashback to, like, what, like, she's imagining what this guy's conversation to the cop is later. Like, he pretty much recites that same line again, yeah. So, so she goes in the bathroom, pulls out $700, comes back, give it to him, and they pull her car around. She almost drives off without the, her luggage, but somebody's like, hey, and gives yeah. it to her. And that happens just and, as the cop is walking up, too, to talk to the, the, the guy. Uh, the car and the, Yeah, the whole time this transaction is going on, the cop is watching, so I'm not sure what she's getting out of this deal. Usually one swaps cars so the cops can't tell you, but if the cops watch you do it, it totally ruins the point of swapping cars. Exactly, because he's just gonna... Like, what is the point of this scene? What is she, what is she trying car. to accomplish? Yeah, and... I mean, I get the idea that she's not supposed to be any kind of like criminal expert or anything like that, but it is kind of, it is kind of like, what was the point? Because the only person who would care about like what model or make of car that you're in right now, this is the one person who could connect you to the nuke. Exactly. It's just the, like, she had, the moment the guy pulled up across the street, even before she talked to the car dealership, she could have just been like, oh, hey, I'm sorry, I'm just looking, and gotten back into her car and... Maybe kept on driving, or I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Did the cop turn to the sales guy after she left and said, I was going to follow her, but she bought a new car. I don't know, I just, I don't, I feel bad crowding her, because, you know, you know, you want to just <laughs> luxuriate in that new car smell, that'd be kind of fucked up, so I'm just going to stay here. There, There's two cop rules, everybody knows. One, if they buy a new car, you can't follow them, and two, if they go across the state line, you just got to give up. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it does. I mean, she, this this does give her. I guess because the cop is more interested in talking to the dealership guy than than directly pursuing her. I mean, she does get away from the cop for the final time here, but still, yeah. It's I've, I, for long term though. Yeah, it's not really. Gonna I'm help. Sh- well. It's probably because he's like, well, she's obviously an idiot. There's no, <laughs> she shouldn't have done anything wrong. Yeah, just probably the moment he got done talking to the car dealership guy, he probably just got on the radio and said, "All points bulletin, lady who just literally just bought this car." arrest her just yeah she also while she's driving hears more imaginary conversations between like the cop the car salesman her boss and her co-workers the rich texan who i think she she assumes is a psychopath because he's like in her mind he's like hey i'll get my money back and if there's any missing i'll take it out of the flesh 
Yeah, and he's also like, oh, I can't believe she stole it from me after all that flirting she did with me. Which actually, yeah. that's the thing where I could, I could totally believe that that guy saying that to people, where he's putting the onus on her about her being creepy towards him. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. I yeah. thought that was well, kind she's... Of a cute little moment. Not cute, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> he was so cute. He's so cute. He cheated me. Oh, I never. Uh, while she's driving, starts raining like crazy. She can't God. see shit. Were fucking windshields in the '60s this fucking terrible? I mean, I don't no. drive, but just no, from, they like... were just dumping water onto her. Oh my god, her yeah, windshield wipers are completely useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can't see shit, but what she can see is the Bates Motel. And what luck, there's vacancy. Yeah, it's Nothing weird, like a she's... nice, safe motel. It seems like she stops for a moment just to stop the car because she's a little bit scared she might crash, but suddenly, like, the windshield wiper kicks in one last time and wipes away the rain, and it's suddenly, yeah, like, right there, like, Bates Motel, bum, bum, bum. Which mm-hmm. is, I, I, it's not fair to this movie, but it is one of those things that, like, that Bates Mo- Motel sign is so iconic. It, it makes this character seem extra ten times stupider that she would be like, oh, this is a good place to stop. Like, because it seems like yeah, it's a this Simpsons place joke. seems charming. Yeah, it's like, oh, there's Freddy Krueger's house. I'm going to take a nap in his front lawn. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, Crab Crystal Lake? I'm going to poop in that shed in the dark. Mm-mm. 666 Elm Street? Why, that sounds like the best bed and breakfast ever. So, yeah, no vacancy, so she pulls on up. Mm-hmm. She looks up at the big house above the motel, the Bates house, sees some old lady walking around, gets yeah, back just, in her car, honks a horn. Just the image of that house is enough to be... Although, I, I would think even back in the day, that house is creepy enough that, 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 that that's for... I mean, there's like roiling black clouds behind it and shit like that. It, it's, it's... Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. So Norman Bates comes running down in the rain and lets her know all... All 12 rooms are open. 12 rooms, 12 vacancies. Uh, he puts her in room number one. It's right next to the office. Uh, he awkwardly shows her the room. Here's, you know a, what? here's a window. You can open it because it gets kind of stuffy. For some reason, you can't say bathroom. See, serious, your Anthony Perkins is just kind of like even the extra like <laughs> mentally disabled Nicolas Cage. <laughs> here's a bathroom. <laughs> Uh, actually, Nicholas Cage playing that character would actually that 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 would be the worst casting I've ever seen for that guy. Um, yeah, you know, it never even occurred to me that he would put her next to the office because so he could peep in on her. Yeah, I feel stupid in retrospect, but especially because mm. I've seen the clips where he is peeping in on her, and I just didn't even occur to me. But yeah, yeah, uh, he offers her to come eat with him. Nothing fancy, just some sandwiches and milk. She says, "All right," and he leaves. She starts looking for a place to hide her wad of money. Oh, we should also know that she also does sign the ledger, like in the the, the guest registry. She uh, signs herself in as Marie Samuels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She starts looking for a place to hide her money. She wraps the money in a newspaper. The safest place for it. No one will think to look there. She also shoves her keys and wallet into her shoe at the beach because it's the safest place and nobody has ever done it before. Oh, yeah. I was kind of wondering where... Uh, Norman Bates ends up getting the keys for a car when he uses it later, because I don't know if they ever made... I don't know if they ever specifically showed him, like, picking up her keys. I mean, he picks up all of her stuff, but I didn't... Oh, that was, no, that was a joke. They didn't show her where her keys went. Oh, yeah, but I'll just say... Uh, 
and she hears someone arguing. It's Norman and his mother yelling at each other. She doesn't want no woman eating in her house. Grumble, bumble. Yeah, and you can kind of see that there's a silhouette of a lady or something like that. And maybe not in this scene, but like earlier, there was a silhouette of a lady up in the in the, the yeah. The you window saw of the house. a lady yeah. with a high bun walking around through the window. Oh god, yeah. Who just because happens to be the down. same height as Norman Bates? Oh, it's so obvious they're the same height. Shut up. What do you think a little shrunk? <laughs> Norman Bates used to be pretty tall. You think she would be at least a little shrunken or something? But yeah. Mm. You would think, cause no lady has ever been the same height as a dude. That's true. All dudes are at least a minimum of six inches taller than any lady in, on Earth. At any t- given time, it's just we're just talking facts here. <laughs> when, when. When the guy who played Willow, the 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 fucking what's his name, Warwick Davis, walks into the office to talk to Kathleen Kennedy about his role in the next Star Wars movie, she automatically shrinks to be six inches shorter than he is. It's the most weirdest thing that ever happens. But it's, it's the most weirdest thing. So he comes walking down. She hopes that she didn't get him in trouble because she heard the argument, and he says the mother just isn't herself today. And that they're going to eat in the office uh, and inside the parlor that's attached to the office. And he says, it's all for you. I'm not hungry. I just want to watch you eat it. Let me just watch a little bit here. And he does. He watches her eat. It's not awkward at all. He literally just starts punching himself in the crotch while she's eating. He's just saying, mm-hmm. down boy, down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell, so yeah. Tell, well, he throws the lights onto the parlor. He it turns out it's filled with dead birds that he's taxidermied, and so the single yeah. barrel bulb, uh, light bulb in the room, is casting off these like crazy shadows from all the birds. So everything seems extra kind of predatorial and weird. But what do you think about Anthony Perkins' performance? Because actually, I was surprised at how much I really like this. Because. Yeah, he does a, a great job. He's being, actually like, really affable. I mean, he's obviously kind of on edge and kind of nerdy, but he's still kind of like. He's not playing it as much as, like, like obviously crazy. He just seems to be yeah. slightly eccentric, but still pretty chill. Like, you seem like you could actually hang out and have a pretty cool conversation with him, which actually she does right here in this scene. But, like, yeah, I, I they they don't tip their hands so much by, like, making him, like, glare at her or anything. I mean, the situation is weird that, like, hey, come back into my parlor filled with dead animals while I watch you eat is, is weird. But his performance yeah. within it is still actually pretty relaxed enough. He doesn't seem to be that nuts. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's good in the movie. Yeah, he's also so young too. Because when I grew up, they were just making like all the various like psycho sequels, and he seems so old when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see it like a nice like twenty six year old version of him being so kind of like young and spry and like, hey, what's up? So yeah. hey, what's up? How you doing? I got a room for you. Would you like to eat next to this dead bird here? <laughs> that's, My name's that's Anthony Porkins. Perfect impression of him. Damn. Hey. Eee, I like to taxidermy budge. You know what I'm saying? I don't like those animals. They look weird. Fact, but well, buds, you can do milk, it, you know? I'm just going to sit here, suck the braids out of this owl right here with my own mouth and spit it into a bowl. Hope you don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> Gotta fill that yep. bo- owl head with sawdust. Yeah. With my own lips that I sp- t- slurp up from a bowl. Yeah, he comments on how she eats like a bird, which I'm, I'm, I've heard that expression throughout my life. I'm still not I, sure exactly what it means. I, it seems like they just kind of squeeze that in there because, oh, get it, because birds, bird things yeah, are in the room, like, and also she, her like, name well, is Marion Crane, so it's like, eh, bird, 
theme I, I guess you would know. And he's like, I don't know shit about birds. I just like to stuff them. It's <laughs> Which cheap. is kind of a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, she basically asks if his life is so empty that that's what he does for fun. And she, she also asks him yeah. is if he has any friends. Bitch, you ain't gonna put a dude on blast like that. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you were to make a if someone were to make a movie about this, this like this exact same plot line, but like not knowing there was a movie called Psycho to see or like seeing how this this particular version of the story was executed, this would be the part where she would say something like that, and you'd have him get like super defensive and like friends. I got a friends. What are you talking about? Or some kind of like they would play their hand so heavily here about how like lonely and crazy he is. But no, he's just like, oh, I mean, the weirdest thing he says is like, ah, uh, you don't need friends when you got your mom because your mom's your best friend. That's kind of a weird statement. But the a way boy's he says best it, isn't friend too is his mother. Yeah. Yeah. He asks her where she's going, and then he apologizes. He didn't mean to pry. Which he follows that up by asking what she's running away from, and says, That time I totally meant to pry. That question's way more prying. And he shares a lot of info that he probably shouldn't when you meet a person for the first time. Like, yeah. His dad died when he was five. It bummed his mom out. And then another dude showed up, talked her into building this motel. Then that guy died and his mom went crazy. And so now he takes care of his crazy mother. He doesn't hate her. He hates what she's become. Does he talk about how any of those... He only makes a weird suggestion. He only... Okay, I was going to ask if... if, if... It's brought up how any of his parents, like his his mom or dad or his stepdad died. He only makes reference to the way his stepdad died being super weird, but he doesn't say what it is. But we do find out later exactly what happened. Well, we actually, there's yeah. different iterations of what we find out uh, happened yeah. there later on. But yeah. Yep. So uh, but they actually yeah, do have a nice conversation, and she actually seems to like actually get like uh, actually kind of involved with him. Um, as much yeah. as she was being kind of a psychopath with the cop later, she seems to actually kind of let her guard down with Norman Beach, which I thought was interesting. And it seems enough to convince her to like go back and actually re- try to return the money the next day too, which is interesting. I didn't expect that twist. Yeah, he. Uh, she asked him if it wouldn't be better if she put. He put her mother someplace, yeah. and his mood oh, gets a bit is... more sinister, and okay, he says yeah. madhouses are terrible, all the tears and judging, and people judging and looking at you, and his mother wouldn't belong there. She's not mad. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Presumably he's saying this because he has firsthand experience with being in a nut house, so that's why he gets actually yeah. wound up about, like, yeah, do you, do, you, do you know what it's like to have eyes on you all the time, and blah, yeah. blah, blah, yeah. So she starts to head back to her room. She has a long drive tomorrow. Going back to Phoenix. She's going to go home and set things right. Well, and she also mentions that her name is Crane. And yeah. so this this seems to be like... And the fact... Well, you do see in the next scene that she's getting ready to actually head back to town. So like what, like somehow this conversation with Norman Bates has convinced her to like maybe give up this stupid dream of stealing the money and running away. And I did yeah. like that where she, yeah, she does say, okay, I'm, I'm going back to... No, it was at Phoenix, yeah, because she says, I'm going back to Phoenix, where my real name's Crane, and there was a nice moment where after she leaves, he goes back to check the, the ledger, and she he, he, he does like, oh yeah, she that's not her actual name, and she did, 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 did lie and say that she's supposed to be going back to, or she's claimed on the ledger that she was from Los Angeles, and I just kind of liked, he just, oh, it's kind of a cool little moment, he's like, oh, okay. She yeah. liked me enough that she actually was honest about where she is, and where she came from, and where she's going back to, so. Yeah. He likes her so much that he goes back to the parlor and takes a painting off the wall and 
look through the people and watch it change. Yeah, there's super such a thing as liking someone sprawl. too much. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, no. And you get, to see gets... the, you get to see ice cream titties for the last time in this film. Yep. Uh, he didn't get a serious look at his face and heads up to the Bates house on top of the hill. He goes Man, inside. A lot of steps to have to get up to that hill too. You think they could have leveled that yeah. land, land a little bit, especially if you got an old lady living up there. But yeah, he goes inside, looks at the stairs, and I get the I get the vibe they were implying he was gonna go stand up to his mother, but he don't do it. He just yeah. goes to the kitchen and sits down. So at the hotel, she gets in the shower and turns it on. And what fucking person? What monster stands in the shower when it and turns it on? You don't stand in the shower when you turn it on. That is a good way to freeze your ass off. That's, no, you thank you. Good, yeah, I didn't. I, you know what? There Movies do that, that shit all the time. Supposedly, Hitchcock had never bathed once in his life. He was proud of that fact. He would it, just. He looks like that kind of motherfucker. <laughs> I'm allergic to water. <laughs> Why is he Peter Laurie? Oh, we also forgot to note before she gets in the shower, uh, she's naked in her bathroom, and she's also doing math on a piece of paper, where she's trying to figure yeah. out how much money she's already blown out of the 40000 Uh She's deducting, like, the $700 for the car and, like, the $39 for, I guess, for her, like, groceries and, and the hotel room, I guess, or whatever. And, and then she rips it up and throws it in the toilet. Again, which is it. more proof that, you know, she's considering, like, okay, how much money is she going to be in debt for if she tries to read, like, she just, yeah, if, if she has to try to give this money back and... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, she, while she showered, a figure is seen through the shower curtain, and I sure shall hope it's her boyfriend Sam come to surprise her. Oh no, it's not. It's Stabby McStabby Face. Okay, so what is uh, the Simpsons had to have parody of the scene? Not that we have to turn everything into a Simpsons reference, but I'm yes, to they did, Bill. What was the twist? Uh, it is, which, hold on, let me, I, I know exactly what scene it is, I'm just trying to remember which I'm episode trying it is. To... Uh, it is a, it is a Marge episode. Okay, which makes sense. Uh, early season. Cause, I'm trying, I'm, I think I'm getting this confused where it's the episode where, uh, there's a bit where Homer decides he's gonna show Bart his, his brand new hockey mask and his brand new chainsaw. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a different one. But that's, that's a different a one. That's just episode. another joke of Homer show showing up and turning out to be almost. Uh, it happens. Yeah, it happens in the Simpsons garage. Really? Oh, there's. Uh-huh. Well, there's the thing where like Maggie ends up fucking up Homer, and like you get the blood draining down. It's red yeah, paint. She, yeah. Yeah, she hits Homer and he screams and and falls down, and you get the zoom in on his eye and the dun dun. Dun, yeah, dun, I thought the they, they specifically did a shower a reference, though. Like, I thought there was, like, I mean, they may have done that, too, but that that, that must be the episode where that's when Mar- Marge starts uh, protesting against Itchy and Scratchy, right? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. Itchy, Scratchy, yes. and Marge. And there's also uh, uh, Principal Skinner talking to his mother up on the hill. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's much more direct. This. Yeah. And, up, uh, I just looked up Simpson Psycho and just the image of uh, Homer Simpson laying face down in the garage with the red paint going into the drain just kind of cracks me up. Yeah, Maud uh, Flanders also peeps on Marge while she's in the bathroom. I don't remember that. Oh yeah, and I'm, and I'm then, looking at like the... Marge straightens out of an image on the wall and she said, "Just wash your hands and get out." <laughs> so, oh, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah Skinner. Yeah, Fred, yeah, his mom does live in that house on top of the hill. That must yep. have been like a. 
Anyway, this is neither here nor there. This is... Okay, okay, okay. She's getting stabbed! A bunch! Choppy saw, really yeah. Good... Chop, 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 slash, slash, slash. They do a really good job at not showing any of her bits off. Well, I was really impressed, because there's even one bit where, like, I, like, <laughs> not so much worried about this character being murdered. It's like, oh, they actually managed to show a lot of flesh without actually showing any, like, explicit nudity. Because uh, there's even one part yep. where, like, like you can kind of see, like, the apple shape of her butt cheeks on the, like, she's, like, sitting down on the on the the floor of the bathtub and it's just obscured by the water enough i'm like oh yeah i guess you could kind of get away with that in 1960 although this is very much cutting edge literally and figuratively blah, blah, blah. um yeah this she gets fucked up and even oh man it's actually i i like i've always heard people talk about how it's supposed to be chocolate syrup that they use instead of even mm-hmm. stage blood for the scene but like there's like bits of clotted shit in the blood that makes it extra look organic and like fucked up mm. and like oh that actually mm. like you watching this in 2018 i'm like damn that's fucked up shit no i didn't get that i was like there should be a lot more blood well here. there should be a lot more blood too but yeah she <laughs> do the... like there's like two drops of blood on the wall as, after she gets stabbed but um, when was uh but yeah the blood blood going down the sink though like i said it's kind of clotting enough that i'm like it's visceral just literally oh it's almost almost literally visceral um yeah, but uh, he's the 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 guy falling on the scissors and dial in for murder was a lot more brutal, and that was five yeah, years before true. or six years before this. It's interesting though because you know before the scene got analyzed to death, be, you know before the advent of home video and stuff, um, it was always just always interesting to hear stories about how people were convinced that they saw the blade go into her flesh, just because mm. the scene is so well edited that it's hard to get a grip on exactly what you're seeing, even though it creates just such a perfectly lurid image in your mind of exactly what's happening um there is one shot though it does kind of look like the, the the knife is pressed against her belly in a way that is kind of suggesting it might be just about to pierce it but yeah. yeah it's pretty fucked up and it goes on for a while too and actually as as much as the visuals are are striking in the scene the sound that chunk the the sound of the knife being plunged into flesh which i guess was just they were just taking in uh, a butcher knife like that and just sinking into a uh, into melons and stuff like that uh mm-hmm. just mm, yeah you really it really sells the just the chunk of just entering the flesh and also the fact that she's in the shower and all that like all the wa- water getting into her wounds just extra skin she's naked so it's extra exposed and vulnerable just like bleh. No, yeah. no me gusta. This is not a fun scene. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a it's well shot. Aside from, should be a lot more blood. Yeah, I kind of wonder you know. if they try to make it bloodier on the remake version. But she also does. Uh, as she's passing out, she grabs onto the uh, shower curtain and rips that off. And then she, because she's kind of half falling out of the sink. And there's a very cool shot where it starts off on extreme close up of her eyeball. And you can tell yeah. that it's actually still still image for a long time until it finally pulls out so no, uh, enough that it actually turns back into live uh, footage again. But the fact that like she's dripping with water and she's obviously like you know a living actress pretending to be dead, but like with all the water like rolling into her eyes and stuff like that, she does a good job of remaining dead while the cameraman is slowly pulling the camera out while also maintaining focus at the same time. This must have been yeah, a bitch for and that, a half to film. That one thing that dead people in movies can can't fake can totally see the pulse in her neck yeah well, what you gonna do oh there I she just, is I, freshly I just stabbed can... her heartbeat may just be waning yeah but yeah yeah but she dead yeah she lets out a little fart and it, that's a comic cherry on the top of this sunday 
the tooth. Yeah. <laughs> even 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 Norman Bates kind of giggles a little bit. And then Captain Stabby runs the fuck out and she slowly <laughs> bleeds. I'm just picturing him running out of the hotel with like a little extra cape on, like Grover, like Super Grover. It's just like, ah! <laughs> Captain Stabby. Just this, the music stops and it's just the sound of the water in the drain. And yeah, and I guess originally um, Hitchcock had it up his ass that he wanted to have all the music in this movie stop as soon as she gets to the hotel so there just wouldn't be a score again for the rest of the film, or at least there wouldn't be any score whenever you're near, uh, whenever the film jumps back to the hotel, or the motel, I guess I should say, uh, just to yeah. add that extra sense of unease. But uh, once he heard the music that the composer Bernard Herrmann wrote for all these scenes, especially, you know, the shower murder scene, he was like, oh man, this is actually, yeah, this this, this is what really sells all this. We need to keep this shit in here. He said, that shit is tight. Well, especially yo. the music for the shower scene. It's all like super iconic because it's like that wee, wee, yeah. wee, wee, that everyone makes fun of whenever you do the imp- impersonate that scene these days. But, you know. Mm-hmm. And That's then he... the highlight of Psycho. This is the only scene anyone ever really seems to care about. Yep. He says, Mother, oh, mother, oh, God, blood. Yeah. And Norman runs down, bursts into the motel room, and sees she naked and dead. So he stumble bumbles around for a little while, figuring out what to do. And then he figures it out, he turns off the lights, gets a mop and bucket. Nothing like a little nighttime cleaning to lift your spirits. Yeah, this goes goes on for a while, too, because it's interesting, because, like, even watching this... Like, you know, Norman Bates is not the protagonist of this film, really, technically. Although, I guess, actually, from this point on, he kind of is, because he's, I mean, he's the motivator of the action of the film. Yeah. Um, but it does put me in the position of, like, okay, shit, if I were in this situation, how would I hide this, too? And I kind of found myself kind of, like, it's kind of like the reverse CSI thing of, like, trying to think, like, if you're a criminal in this situation, how do you, like hide your tracks and but the big thing i was like okay well then you got to do something about the ledger because you could it's it's easy enough that like you're not expecting anyone's going to show up so you have plenty of time to clean up the actual mess and get rid of the body and stuff like that but someone if anyone comes looking for you got to do something about that ledger and i was worried enough about that that i was kind of glad that actually turned into a thing because i that 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 seemed to me to be to me to be the bond thing he was overlooking and turns Mm. out yeah that is kind of his undoing but that'll happen in a little bit but yeah, he cleans up, he, he grabs a mop, mops down all the blood in the bathtub, um, mm-hmm. washes everything. Spreads out the shower curtain on the floor, moves her body into it. Yeah, wraps it up, throws in the trunk of the, the her car, grabs mm-hmm. up all of her belongings. Except for the, he almost, I thought for a moment he was just going to forget about the, the $40,000 wrapped up in the newspaper. And that's the last thing yeah. he grabs and throws into the trunk right before he uh, pushes it into the quagmire right behind the motel. Yep, which she does. Yeah, loads it all up. It starts There's... to sink. Ah, uh, yeah. Starts starts to sink in the swamp. Stops halfway, and he's like, "Oh fuck!" But then it goes the rest of the way. I just like that moment. To me, that it's moment like those in a movie that really sell the story to me. Where it's you know not a giant plot complication or something like that, but like if you're put enough into the shoes of this evil bad guy who's done fucked up shit, and there is a moment of like. Oh shit! <laughs> what do you do now if that car's only half half sunk into the swamp? And like, there's yeah. an actual little bit of palpable sense of relief when this evil criminal guy. Oh, he's like, oh okay, the car is gonna sink. I've gotten away with literally with murder. Whew. And that just kind of yeah. It gives a sly little smile to no one. Yeah. Creep status achieved. Woohoo! Oh fuck! It's cursive. I gotta try to read this shit. Ah oh, man. Oh yeah, I tried to read this shit. I'm like, why is this? What's this hieroglyphic-ass <laughs> shit? What the fuck is this in my movie? <laughs> C- 
curse of you are the worst idea mankind has ever had. Backlash, man. The internet is flat out. The internet is doing to cursive what Norman Bates just did to Janet Lee in this movie. Murder the fuck out of him. I'm glad it's gone. Thank goodness. God damn. I'd rather try and ring web read webdings than I would cursive. <laughs> it is funny to like see kids these days growing up and like they'll be presented with cursive. And they're like, what the fuck? Writing it. Who thought this was a good idea? Yeah. I studied cursive growing up, and I still have issues with shit. I mean, I studied cursive. I can still write in cursive, but you really do wonder, like, why was this ever a thing? Like, you, you never see cursive outside cur- of, like, handwritten letters, fancy letters, like, people write to each other, like, this, or, like, if signatures. Get, and if somebody half-assed writing in cursive, that shit is unreadable. Yeah, just print, motherfucker, print. I remember I was a kid thinking, like, uh, asking teachers, like, why don't we just print? And they're like, well, just because. And now, like, I'm an adult, and like, yeah, your shit's fucked up, print one. Eat my balls, <laughs> yeah. teachers. Um, but yeah, did, so this I turns manage, out to be, yeah. I did manage to translate it. It's a Saturday. Dearest writers are is Marion. I'm sitting on this tiny back room, which isn't big enough for the both of us. And suddenly, it looks big enough for the both of us. So what if we're poor and cramped and miserable? At least we'll be happy, even though I just said we'd be miserable. Yeah. I did, it took me a moment <laughs> to realize what was happening, because I did already forget that like the, the when Sam and What's-Her-Face are in the, in the hotel room at the beginning, he is specifically talking about, when he's talking about how poor he is, he is, he's, he's also talking about how... Uh, them getting married and her being stuck in this back room uh, hardware store is no life for her. And I guess now he's, yeah. even though it's only 24 hours later, he's decided, okay, fuck it, it's fine, whatever, just as long as I have you. And he just happens yeah. to be in the back room of this tiny hardware store that he was shitting on just just a day earlier. Yep. And a lady comes in asking for Sam. It's Marion's sister, and she wants to know where she is. But he don't know. There's also a private investigator who is looking for her, who yeah, walks directly into can. the camera. Yeah. <laughs> he does kind of like, this guy kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit, yeah. Yeah. He's been following the sister, uh, but they fill Sam on with the $40,000 plot that's going on. I thought this was actually kind of convenient, because instead of trying to explain both the sister's involvement and the private detective's involvement in the same time. They just both happen to show up at Sam's place at the same time, so you could just have one giant piece of exposition to all three characters yeah. at the same time without having to do it individually to all three characters. And like, you know, it, it just cuts down repetition, even though it's kind of ridiculous all yeah. these characters show up at the same time. But yeah, everyone... They don't want to prosecute, they just want the money back, and uh, the, p- the p- private investigator says she's somewhere in this town where the boyfriend is. She's bound to be. Uh, he'll find her. So he starts going, looking at all the hotels and boarding houses and motels. Nobody would ever think to do that. Does he explicitly say that he was hired by the, the, the Texan? I can't remember who he says he was hired because, by. Because, uh, well, I, this is another little bit of clever screenwriting, I thought, too. Is like he, in one he of the calls earlier... Sam in the, he calls Sam and the sister later. Yeah. Well, no, because like, um, well, yeah, maybe he does, but, um, oh, that's a good point. Cause yeah, he is, although he could just be keeping in touch with them just because the, he, he still might be just keeping tabs on them so he can get more information out, out of them later. But, um, especially cause they don't seem to uh, realize this guy even exists until he shows up in Sam's uh, hardware shop. Um, yeah. well, uh, earlier when Vivian Lee is 
Janet Lee is is driving out of town and she's imagining how everyone will be reacting to her uh, disappearing of the money. In that bit where she's thinking about how the the the, the Texas oil man will will be reacting to this, he says, "I will se- I will send someone after her to get the money back." And so yeah. that's one of the things where I'm like, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, that is her imagining what people will say, but I think that is all the, the film's shorthand of telling you exactly what the canonical reactions of these characters are. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I, you would just assume that the Texas oil man, because in, in, yeah, in her imagination, she's like, I'm not going to get stuck with this $40,000 missing. I'm going to get my money back. And so yeah, you can just assume that the oil man hired this I'm guy. I'm pretty sure he says who hired him, but I don't remember. Yeah, okay, he does say something, something, like, just off the cuff, but, like, I can't remember exactly what he says, but, yeah. Yeah. It is interesting, too, because you would believe <laughs> that if it was just the cops, the cops wouldn't be this dogged in their pursuit of this guy, or in, in, yeah. in, in pursuit of uh, Janet Lee. but because it's a private detector, private detective hired by this rich guy, of course, he's, he's going to have the time and resources to literally just check out every goddamn motel within, like, a 40-mile radius of, of, of Phoenix. But, you know. yeah. And he winds up at Bates Motel and talks to Norman, who's about to change all the linen in all the rooms because it's just a habit, and he changes them whether they need them or not. Yeah. Norman Bates starts off so good. He plays this because here's obviously a private detective looking for this lady he just murdered last week. He plays it off so well at the start because he's like, yeah, so affable. Like, hey, you can help me go change, change the linens. <laughs> he's cool. Yeah. But fuck, man. He, says, he fucks it up so nobody's, quick. Yeah, he says nobody's been there for a couple weeks. But yep. then he slips up and mentions that some people there last week. God made damn, a, Norman Bates. <laughs> mentioned that he forgot to turn the sign on. And the private investigator asks if he could take a look at the guest book. Uh, he compares handwriting and notices that one looks like uh, uh, Marion's with the fake name Samuel. That was going to be because, her- like I said, like one earlier when I was thinking about how do you get away with this murder, I was thinking like it's going to be that that the guest ledger is that's the thing that could trip you up the most. And even that mm. got me thinking: do our are hotels and motels obligated by law to keep a ledger? Because I would have just thrown that away. Or at least know. said, hey, we just started a brand new ledger. The other one, uh, a monkey stole it. Um, Those swamp monkeys. Yeah, come up with any excuse to keep from... Because you could just cut out that page, but then everyone's like anyone looking through that ledger is going to notice well, that there's maybe, a gap. Maybe he figured it wouldn't be an issue since it was a fake name. Well, because, yeah, he did know it was a fake name. So that's that's one of the things I thought was kind of clever about the fact that he realizes that like when she lets her guard down and does like really uh, reveal her real name and her real... Uh, place of origin that like yeah that must have given him enough confidence that if if anyone came sniffing around they wouldn't recognize that name and place of origin but the the fucking detective is smart enough to bring a goddamn handwriting sample that's actually that is the one thing that really sinks uh, Norman Bates more than anything else in this film is that goddamn handwriting sample because then the guy is okay this is a fake name but I do know this is a uh, fucking Marion Crane wrote this and it's like ah shit and that's of course the moment the guy reveals that that's when Norman Bates starts fucking falling apart like getting yep. all nervous ticky and sweaty and yeah saying that she didn't make any calls and how could he know that he wasn't with her all night she could have made a phone call and you're getting more and more flustered and the yeah. well, especially the story him. flips because like uh the uh mitchell frogman is like hey here's a photo have you ever seen this lady and he's like no and then suddenly he's like he's like oh yeah maybe she was here uh i did see her and we had sandwiches and then we hung out all night long and and yeah, his story like don't man still ah oh, don't change your entire story fuck ah anyway this yeah. is terrible that I'm identifying with this murderer so much being frustrated <laughs> by him fucking himself up but yeah yeah anyway 
So the private investor asks if she's hiding somewhere, and he's paying. Is she paying him off to hide her there? And he asks if he could check the rooms, and he says no, but he's welcome to come with them to change the linens. So as Norman passes over the first room, not suspicious at all, to go to the second. He knows the guy's watching him, and then he, like, screams and, like, pulls out a knife and stabs the door five times and then runs off into the woods, and that's the end of the movie. It's like, Norman Bates, no, be a little more chill about this. Mm -hmm. Especially to find out he's actually killed two other people before this, so you'd think he'd be a little more practiced and a little more chill about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he does, yeah, when he passes that first cab and he's all like, <laughs> like, like he sees a ghost or something, and then he goes on to the next cab and starts changing the linens, and the detective guy's just like looking on like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Yeah. Well, he looks at the house and notices a figure of a woman sitting in the window, Yeah. and Norman says that nobody lives at home, but then he changes his story again and says <laughs> that his mother's up there, but she's an invalid. She goes, she can't get around. It's like living alone at home. And then uh, he fucks up even more because the detective's like, he does, he does, he, Norman Bates commits an un, unforced error when he also does mention the like, oh, my mother didn't think that Marion Crane was fucked up. And the guy's like, oh, your, your mother met Marion, right? And he's like, oh shit, I didn't say that. Fuck. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the private investigator wants to talk to her, but Norman's having none of it, and tells him he thinks it's time for him to leave, and that he's done talking to him. I'm kind of surprised the detective left, because at that point, you're like, fuck. I mean, I guess he doesn't have, like, a warrant, so he couldn't, like, legally force his way into that house to talk to the mom, but shit, man. (laughs) Like, yeah, Norman Bates has fucked this every possible way he possibly could. Yep. So he leaves, and Norman smiles about the whole thing. Like he's like, "Yeah, I just got one over <laughs> on totally that guy. Does, like, I win." <laughs> Homer number one. <laughs> like, I think Norman's little the little kid version is that little kid on uh, YouTube that's all. You ever you ever have a dream? You dream that wheel? You dream that he could feel you? And then he's like, "Yeah, it is." Um, interesting that the writer, I was looking, reading about something about how the writer of the book that this was based off of, and in his imagination, there are three components to Norman. There's Norman, who is still a little child. That That is the what remains of Norman Bates inside that guy's head. There's Norma, mm-hmm. which is the mom, which of course takes over, and there's Normal, which is his adult forward-facing uh, part of himself that pretends to be Norman. And so, I guess this is a moment where, like, a normal, who is kind of speaks for Norman when he's talking to all the adults in this movie, kind of fades away, and little kid Norman shows up, and, like, yeah, that would kind of explain why he's like, yeah, I got one over on that guy. And I'm like, man, little kid Norman, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. So, the private investigator goes to a payphone, makes a call, and tells somebody the info he just got. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I don't think anything suspicious is going on there. I'm like, really? You don't think anything's suspicious? But he's like, I, I feel like there's more to this story than what I learned, so uh, I'm going to go back and question the mother. Is this not him talking to the sister? I think it's this. I think maybe you're just supposed to assume, but they don't waste any time with the other side of the conversation or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, no, he could be talking to, actually, it's probably him calling the uh, uh, the Texan, because doesn't he end up calling the sister and Sam later on? 
So this might be just no, him recording. No, this is the one phone call he makes, and they mention it later, so I oh, Okay, so it must be them. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So he goes into the office, gets creeped out. Oh, oh before that happens, uh, the, mo- the motel, you see Norman walking around, and then the PI- private investor came back. And I, at this point, it happened several times. Why does everybody get out of the passenger side of their cars? Oh, did they? Like, they scoot, they scoot over from the driver's seat to the passenger seat and get out on that side. Well, Hitchcock was it's English. Weird. Maybe he didn't understand that, like... Why are you getting out of that door? Get out of the other side. It's That's how we, we drive. You, your drivers, your, your wheels may be on the wrong side. I cannot do a Hitchcock. <laughs> I like how you call you call you with you. Sounds like an older retarded man just doing baby cuckoo voice <laughs> to a kid. A goo boo goo boo. Anyway. So he goes in the office, gets creeped out by the birds, looks in an empty safe, pokes his nose around, yeah. goes up to the Bates house, and just it's goes Mitchell. right in inside. But he's polite enough to take his hat off while he's coming in un- uninvited. I know, sneaking into, I, yeah, maybe he's, maybe he, he's anticipating getting busted by the mom, and so if the mom suddenly shows up, he gets like, oh, I'm a friend of Norman's, I just wanted to show, he like, wants to be respectful if he gets busted, I don't know. I don't know. So he slowly walks up the stairs, and a door slowly opens, and Kerblamzo, an old lady, comes out of nowhere and stabs him in the head. He stumbles backwards down I the stairs on his heels. I to see exactly, because it does look like he does get, I mean, there is blood on his head, on his cheek, but I thought maybe that was a stab wound to the chest that's, like, just shooting blood up, but, yeah, it's really, oh, man, that guy gets fucked up. Yeah. He falls on his, on his ass at the bottom of the stairs, she jumps on him, stabs the shit out of him, and brrr, he screams. Yeah. It is, what'd you think of the, the, the effect shot of him falling down the stairs? It was silly. Yeah, it's... That's, it's aside very Hitchcock. from the murder... This is actually the last thing I knew that happens in this film. This, this is the only thing... I knew the setup of the film. Before going yeah. into this, the three things I knew about this film were... It's, it's Janet Lee, who is Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, steals a whole bunch of money, runs away. Um, the shower scene, and that there's a mm-hmm. shot of this dude falling backwards down the stairs like this, where it's yeah. kind of filmed a little bit like Vertigo, where it's I, it's obviously him against like a um, a rear projection screen, but they're kind of also messing with focus and stuff to actually add an extra sense of Vertigo as he's falling, which I thought was for the time for the, its effect. I mean, yeah, to modernize now it looks silly as shit, but like I thought it was still kind of cool because it kind of really creates an image of him not being connected to like his feet are no longer on the stairs, and he may just really be like flying backwards um but also but when it does cut to the actual footage the actor falling down the bottom steps it just looks like he just tripped over like one step and fell on his butt like home alone it doesn't look like like the fall he's taking in that effect shot should kill him the moment he hits the hits the ground but now yeah uh back at the hardware store they've been waiting for the private investigator because he told them that he'd be back in an hour it's been three hours so they're gonna check that shit out Oh, yeah, she so that really must have been him hotel. calling them then. Yeah, because, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She wants to go check out the hotel, but Sam won't let her, goes himself, and he's like, oh, you'll never find it, and leaves. So he finds nothing at the Bates Motel, though we see, do see uh, Bates at the swamp supposedly dumping another car into it, which, oh, that's a yeah. deep-ass swamp, man. Dump multiple cars in it. It's a very steep swamp pit. Yep. It was also interesting that at the very end of the film, you see, I th- you assume that the first car that they're pulling out of there is is Janet Lee's. So I guess they've swapped places inside the like her car is now <laughs> magically on top of his or something. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, Sam goes back to the shop, and together him and his sister, 
go to see the sheriff. Because yeah. Sam didn't find anything. No. It is such I, I do appreciate that they don't waste any time assuming Sam's falling for his lover's sister, even though you can kind of read that if you wanted to, just because it's an attractive lady with an attractive dude trying to solve murder. Uh, yeah, but I, I do love that, that there's no toward like, oh, I fell in love with my with your sister, but now I'm falling in love with you. They just cut all that shit out. It's, they're just trying to solve a murder. So, yeah. yep. If anyone else They've... had made that, that would be a shitty subplot in this film. Yeah. They filled the sheriff in on the situation, and the sheriff thinks that the private investigator ran off with the door of $40,000. Which I would have never but assumed make... that. Is that a thing that private PIs are known for? But mm, yeah, yeah, I, I do love the actor playing the sheriff, too, because he's totally like, this guy must have been in a thousand fucking cowboy movies, because he's got giant Woodsy the Owl eyebrows, and just like, hey, I'm the sheriff around these parts. Yeah. So, uh... He to make him feel better. He calls the Bates Motel, and Bates tells him the same thing. The girl was there, but she left. And uh, but the sheriff mentions that the private investigator and Sam both saw they saw Bates's mother, but she's been dead and buried for ten years. It's the only murder suicide the town has ever had. She killed herself and her lover when she found out he was married. So Sam claims he did see a woman sitting in the window, and so did the private investigator. Well, if that's Mrs. Bates, who's buried in the cemetery? You know how the camera kind of zooms in on the sheriff's wife when she says that, too? It's like, bump, bump, bump. I do like the sheriff, too, also points out that um, Mrs. Bates and her husband were killed with strychnine, which I guess is a very specifically like gruesome way to go out, too. Which kind of yep. lines up with what Norman Bates had said earlier, that the only notable thing about how his stepfather died was the gruesome nature of his death. So I thought that was kind of yeah. a nice little, little linkage there. Yeah, at the Bates' house, Norman goes upstairs, starts arguing with his mother about taking her down to the fruit cellar so nobody can find her. Yeah. And she picks, he picks her up and carries her down the stairs. Put me down! Put me down! Sunday, and then it's Sunday. Uh, I do like the out dummy church. he carries out, though. Like, yeah. That's... Yeah. Uh, people are coming out of the church, and the sheriff's coming out, and Sam and the sister go up to him, and, uh... Sheriff told me he's been out to the old Bates place, and they didn't find nothing. Not no old lady, not no young lady, not nothing. So the two decide, fuck that, we're gonna go search the place on our own, because we're better than any cops. Uh, they drive out there, posing as a married couple, just wanting to get their their freak on in a hotel in the middle of nowhere. Well, I do like the same story changes to, like, when he really wants to press Norman Bates about the seeing the Signing the the hotel uh, uh, register book, he's like, "Well, this is even though the, the, we're on honeymoon, but this is ninety percent business." My my employer yeah. demands receipts. Which uh, I thought was like, yeah, they're I not, mean, not that he's suspicious at all. Yeah, they're just being weird about the whole thing. Although it's so nice to see someone room. who's not committed a crime uh, running around with a terrible story for once in this movie. Yeah. They go to the room number 10, which they're doing, and decide to search the place. They go to room number one, which is conveniently unlocked. Yeah. Find, and behind the toilet, she finds a bit of a note that, that uh, Marion had torn up and tossed in the toilet with 40,000 written on it. This proves everything! Which, I guess in the original book, they find her one of her earrings? Which seems to make mm. more sense to me than, like... I guess maybe you could take the piece of paper to a handwriting uh, expert to, def- to decide whether or not, like... Like, to more, more... 
convincingly link well, you could have just paper, had but... had it's... him give here like earrings or something at the beginning of the movie so that he would know what they were like i made these special for you i don't got a lot of money but i was able to make these or something or something like know. that but it seems like a very arbitrary yeah clue to that yeah i i i also think norman bates would be uh he would be stringent enough cleaning up after he wouldn't just miss a piece of paper with like I don't know. It's... I don't know. So the sisters convinced the. I I, Norm- I, 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 I I do want to point this out before we get too far too much further. I yeah. do I love it in movies. This is the only thing that happens. In this and only other couple movies I've seen in my life, so I can't remember specific uh, examples. But movies where there's a MacGuffin. That is cast away. That like is exists just long enough to start the the action of the film, but then is uh, accidentally discarded by the events of the film and never seen again. Which I fucking love that. Like you know, because well, even even the uh, the sheriff thinks that like the the private detective only disappeared because he was. Everyone just assumes that everyone's just after this money. When no, Norman Bates, he didn't know the money existed. He he accidentally destroyed it when he just threw that newspaper in the car. I just love that, like, the the inciting object in this film has long been since been destroyed is no longer a plot ele- element, even though the characters think it's a plot element. I just don't think that's very cool, but anyway. Yeah. But yeah, and the, the, the slip of paper about the $40,000 is the last kind of element about that in the film. Mm-hmm. So the sister's convinced the Norman Bates' mother knows something, so she's going to go talk to her while Sam keeps Norman distracted by talking to him about this, that, and the other thing. So she goes in the house. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna laugh. Well, you, I was gonna laugh about how the dude's idea of keeping Norman Bates um, occupied is just to accuse Norman Bates of stealing the money for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, the the lady go, the, the sister goes up to the house. Yeah, she goes to the house, starts poking around. Sam talks to Bates. It's boring and awkward as you would expect. Yeah. She's looking around upstairs. All this fancy looking. Like a lady is staying there, complete with a fox coat in the closet. And oh yeah, it's so old timey. Like it, you could imagine it smelling like piss and mothballs up there. Yeah, a, a, a <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It's all Miss Havisham up there. Um, yeah. a, pa- a pair I, of bronze cast hands, which I'm assuming were kind of like a death mask people did at some point. I just assumed that was like a very old timey maternal like jewelry box but that could have been that too actually i mean i just assume that just because it seems so odd but yeah yeah i don't know there's also a lady shaped indent on the on the bed yeah really deep kind of suggests that like uh norman's mom weighs 400 pounds or something (laughs) yep she finds a little kid's room then which okay this is Um, this actually from a a storytelling cinematic perspective i thought was really nice because it's cross-cutting between sam talking to uh, Norman Bates, and Norman Bates kind of defending himself about, like, what are you talking about? I'm perfectly happy. Me and my mom are perfectly happy. I had a perfectly happy childhood, just as the sister is entering his childhood bedroom, which is kind of creepy, because it's got, like, little paintings of dolls and elephants up near the top of the ceiling, and a bunch of creepy-ass old early 21st century dolls and shit like that, and just the cross-cutting between the two is just kind of nice about him just talking about how happy he was as a kid in his creepy-ass childhood bedroom, which I thought was really effective. I thought it was cool. Sam is very bad at conversation. Sam because is... Because he's just, he's just p- 
pissing Norman off by talking about his mother. Yeah. And then he starts talking about $40,000. You're probably going to buy another hotel with that money. Where'd you get $40,000, Norman? He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, I bet your mother knows about it. Huh? Maybe we should ask her. He's like, where's that lady you came here I with? I bet your mom's already wearing, Sam, wearing Your mom's already Sam, wearing a big hat a f- made out of money right now, isn't she? Like a big sombrero that shoots coins at people. <laughs> I bet you right now. Let's go see that hat. Norm Bates is just like, what the fuck? Get out of here, asshole. Sam's an idiot. Yeah, Good Sam job, you moron. Dumb. So they fight. And Norman knocks Sam out by hitting him in the head with something. I don't remember. It's a vase. I, it's one of those things, too, I okay. thought was kind of interesting. Because nine times out of ten is in a movie. Someone's going to get hit in the vase. That vase, vase is going to break. No, it just goes gong. And the guy and, yeah. and Sam gets knocked out. Yep. And then Bates starts running up to the house, which she sees and goes down to the cellar. Oh, you missed the one of the weirder parts of the movie, too, is right before uh, Sam and Norman start the fight. Uh, I can't believe we can't even remember what the sister's name is. We just keep on referring to her as the sister. Um, yep. I think it's because she keeps on referring to Sam by name, but he never refers to her by name very often in the film, so it's just easier to remember Sam. Um, but uh, li- li- the last Lilia. thing we... S- is it Lily? Lily? Well, L-I-L-A. Lilia? Lilia. 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 Uh, the last thing Lilia. we see of her in Norman's bedroom is... Uh, she just randomly picks up like uh, like an unlabeled book and pops it open, and she makes a horrified look. Um, and you never get to see what it is. And mm. I will, I will talk about that later. But that's a thing that they wanted to show, but they couldn't, so they just cut away from it just to show her reaction. But but oh, yeah, okay. as soon as she's walking out of the bedroom, though, that she yeah she sees Norman running up to the house, and she's like, oh shit. Yeah, so she goes down to the cellar, and she spots. Uh... Uh, Norman or Nor- M- Mrs. Bates, and she's oh, like, "Oh, you spoiled Mrs- it for all of our listeners." I didn't spoil God. it for nothing. It's Norman's mother. Yeah. Oh, it is Norman's mother. You're right. Yeah, I know. What I just spoiled it for all of our listeners. God, oh no! Damn. And she's like, "Oh, Mrs. Bates," and, uh, and she turns around to reveal a paper mache old lady. <laughs> fucking, fucking, in the world of Halloween, fucking. I had Norman Bates bought this at fucking Walmart for ten ninety nine the day after Halloween. Kind of plastic mm-hmm. ass skeleton thing, yeah. Yep, with the uh, I made the eyeballs out of egg cartons. It totally yeah. It's I mean I know this is nineteen sixty. It's not supposed to be state of the art special effects, but it's it's looking pretty shitty. Yeah, she screams. Bates runs down dressed like his mother with a knife. He is super stoked to stab somebody again. But then Sam comes out of nowhere, grabs him from behind, and subdues him while making sure that his wig comes off and also opens the just the yeah the, the nightgown that he's wearing just so the really stupid people in the audience go, "Oh, it's oh, Norman." I get it? Mm-hmm. Norman Bates' mom is not just a very masculine-looking twenty-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's it. I, Again, it's very easy to forget that this is like the like this. This is this is the not the perpetuator, the proprietor, the progenitor of so many slasher films. That you know, a reveal like this is very common in slasher films, and to think that this is like the first example of that. Of course, there's like they would have to go out of their way to explain exactly what's going on, like visually. It's not enough just to see Norman yeah. Bates in the costume, but you need to see the costume kind of like very abruptly falling off of him, just so you get like, oh, that really is Norman Bates just dressed like his mom. But yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's well, it's, it's, it's as doofy as something you would see in a Scooby Doo ending. 
Don't worry, they don't just explain it visually for us, because the next scene is a huge plot dump by I, a psychiatrist. I paused the movie briefly right after this just to see, like, I had to do something, and I was like, okay, this is only, like, two seconds left in the film anyway, and I was like, why is there still, like, 20 minutes left in this movie? The story just <laughs> ended. What's, and, yeah, that's the yep. film surprised it's me. A psychiatrist with a flair for the dramatic to tell us about how I didn't talk to Norman. I talked to his mother. It's only the mother in there now. He's very, uh, uh, um... Schmitty. Oh, what's the name of the guy? No, uh, uh, Atlas from, uh, Bioshock. Oh, yeah, well, that's a little Schmitty. That's a little Schmitty. Schmitty's not a specific person, it's just an attitude. Schmitty. Yeah. Schmitty. Schmitty. Yeah. Let's please know that Norman killed two more girls, and he also killed his mother and her lover, because he couldn't stand his mother having somebody else besides Norman. And when his mother took over, when took over his body, he projected the jealousy that he felt towards his mother, and he figured she would have the same jealousy towards him. So any lady he showed interest in, she would murder. Bum. I, I, Bum. Bum. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it kind I, of it. It feels more House of Waxy than it does Psycho. Yeah, and again, it's easy to forget that it's, like maybe a lot of these terms were not just very well known to the average film goer back then. Like he has to go at length to explain this isn't transvestism. He was dressed like his mother, but not because he was trying to be a woman. Because there is like the aspect of his mom's personality that like, he got stuck in his head and just like. Oh my fucking god, I get it. Like, I mean, this is more a culture <laughs> of people who grew up in a far more fucked up, well, 1960 was fucked up too, but like in terms of like the kind of pop culture media, we're just used to seeing movies about crazy psychopaths more often than I guess you were in 1960. So of course all this stuff is like, oh yeah, no, the dude was fucking crazy. The movie's called also, Psycho. Like the explanation also, for this movie is in the title. But this motherfucker psychiatrist has got no bedside manner because he's like, yeah, he killed the fuck out of your sister. <laughs> he he killed like, her, yeah. but dead. Oh. Yeah, and not got to sugarcoat it for you. Yeah, he stabbed her a bunch and put her in the swamp. Yeah. Why are you crying, girl? Why are you crying? <laughs> I he a psychiatrist. I guess he's just used to examining crazy people, but not actually dealing with people whose minds aren't totally fucked up. So when it comes to explaining what happened to like normal people, he's just like, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you so sad? Cop comes in and is like, Hey, Norman wants a blanket because he's cold. Can I take him a blanket? <laughs> and they're like, Okay, sure. <laughs> what a weird way to end this movie. The villain yeah. needs a blankie. So then you hear Norman's mother say, Thank you. And <laughs> the then, most doofy uh, way. You see him sitting in a stool with the blanket around him. And a voiceover is how they're going to put Norman away. But I, she won't be doing anything to stop it. She's just gonna sit there and not move a muscle. Why, I'm not even gonna try to kill that fly. It's crawling on me. That'll show them. They'll say she wouldn't even harm a fly. Norman smiles a creepy little smile. Slight transposed image of his corpse mother over the top of him. I had to rewind Cargate. that. I thought that was actually one of the coolest touches in the movie because, like, with the first time mm. I was watching, I was like, why is suddenly, like, their teeth on his mouth? And I was like, oh, shit! Uh, they're actually transposing the, yeah, the whole face of his dead mom on there, but the whole rest of the face is so stupid looking. All you really can notice is, like, kind of the teeth. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. And it fades into the last <laughs> image of the film. A car getting pulled out of a swamp and then end. Yeah, which it's is over. kind of fucked up because, like, well, I guess... 
I guess, well, actually, maybe the fact that it's only been in there a week, it might be even more fucked in than it'd have been there for, like, six months or a year, but, like, and just knowing what the the cops are gonna find when they crack open that, that the trunk of that car is just gonna be like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Yeah. And I guess maybe the, the fucking, the Texan dude will probably actually get his money back, as long as that, I don't think that money would have dissolved just a week in a, in a swamp, but... Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Ugh, yeah, but... So now you got me curious, Bill, what was in that book? What was in that book? I will tell you! Um, oh, there's a little bit of a, a backstory to what's in that book. Um, I just made notes of, uh, yeah, the Psycho movie was based on Robert Block's novel of the same name that came out just a year before the movie did, so they turned that around pretty mm. quickly. Um, the Norman Bates of the novel was based on serial killer Ed Gein who was a cannibal and made skin suits of women, but who also cross-dressed, had real mommy issues, and lived just down the road from that author, Robert Block. Um, also, the book version of Norman Bates is a fat, middle-aged alcoholic who is addicted to porn. In the movie, the book that Marion's sister finds in Norman's uh, childhood bedroom is supposed to be filled with fucked-up, dirty drawings. Um, mm. Also in the book, Norman's mother only takes hold whenever he gets drunk, not just horny. Um, but yeah, so they they were they tried to figure out a couple ways to try to like more explicitly suggest that what she finds in that book is supposed to be fucked up drawings by Norman, but they couldn't figure out anyway. So they just kind of left it up to the to the reader's imagination. But supposedly that was one of Hitchcock's favorite things he wanted to try to get into the movie somehow, even if it's not explicitly telling you what she's looking at, because uh, it could just be easily easily be like like a diary or something like that. But and. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do like the fact that they cut out the idea that he just goes crazy when he's drunk because horny kind of makes more sense for, like, I I, mean, I I also do like the fact that, like, again, that the, the, the novel version of Norman Bates sounds more like the kind of serial killer that you would make Norman Bates into in a movie these days where he's just an obvious mess and you can just detect that he's crazy from 3,000 miles away. I love this Norman Bates who's quiet and clean cut and really affable and kind of chill. But yeah. then it goes crazy, so at least there's a little bit of a surprise, there's a little bit of a transformation, but, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it was a, a pretty, I mean, out of the three uh, Hitchcock movies we've seen, it's probably in the middle. Yeah. I, I think I like this it the was best. Decent. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But yeah, this is your decent. choice, so that's more important. Oh, so important. This did not have a giant telephone in it. It did not have a big fat fat finger sticking on a phone. Yeah, <laughs> big fat cartoon double dare finger. <laughs> yeah, Style M for Murder definitely has that over any other Hitchcock movies, unless the Hitchcock managed mm-hmm. to recycle that giant phone foam and uh, phone and double dare finger in some other movie that we haven't seen yet. But yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. that's what knocks uh, uh, Cary Grant off the uh, uh, Mount Rushmore at the end of North by Northwest. Yeah, shockingly, there's one of the most lauded Hitchcock movies and one of the most lauded movies ever is actually pretty decent. Who yeah, it's actually who kind of thing that coming. Yeah, I'm glad to see yeah. when a movie is of such notoriety actually turns out to be this good. So yeah, that was kind of a nice little surprise. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Speaking of nice surprises, what are we doing next time, Bill? Also, I just want to make a note of before we totally wrap oh, this up. I thought it was interesting yeah. how. Uh, this movie also gets credited with starting off, uh, like, between the, uh, the, the, the two movies I always see credited the most as being, uh, the movies that kickstarted the mo- the modern horror film as we know it are Psycho 
and Return of the Living Dead, which is interesting because Return of the Living Dead didn't come out until almost a decade after this. It was like 1967 or 68. So it's funny mm-hmm. that like those two movies that are credited together are like actually released that far apart, especially with this being uh, like a Jekyll and Hyde story where – or like it, some people have refer, referred this to as being also kind of like a werewolf movie, but it, th- this is one of the first horror movies where – it's not a supernatural thing. It's 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 evil coming from within. You know, there's no magic potions, no spells, no monster. Mm-hmm. There's no moral to the story, uh, even though there is. You know, twenty minutes at the at the end of of a scientist coming out explaining exactly psychologically what happened to Norman Bates. It's not like a morality tell where it's telling you why it's bad. What happened to Norman Bates? Like, you know, so many other horror movies would be like, like, oh, and he turned into a wolf because he didn't eat his vegetables. This is just like, shit's fucked up. This guy was just crazy. This could not be helped. And people like this live all the everywhere all the time. Watch out. Uh, which I always mm-hmm. thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's making evil a very mundane urban thing and not just some kind of like a mystical thing that only happens to monsters in the movie uh was was i always thought was kind of an interesting thing and one last note <laughs> this has nothing to do really with anything but uh anthony perkins died of aids in 1992 uh and it seems like he was gay for most of his life until he had his first heterosexual experience with victoria principal on the set of the life and times of judge roy bean which i guess is a movie that exists uh, after which he married a photographer lady and he had two kids. Weirdly enough, his widow wound up dying on the first plane that hit the World Trade Center on 9-11. Yeah. So Anthony Perkins had a hell of a life because watching the movie, I was like, I wonder, because I remember someone, man, I was like watching some kind of cartoon. Somebody made a joke about Anthony Perkins being gay and I was like, is he gay? And I just kind of looked it up and this is literally the last thing I looked up right before we started recording. But yeah, finding out that is like, he did end up like essentially going straight. Oh, I mean, she could have been a beard or something too. I don't know. But yeah, the fact that his widow wound up dying in line 11, I was like, man, this guy, this whole fucking life was kind of crazy. But, and especially yeah. lost his virginity to Victoria Principal. And like when he was like forty, just kind of cracks me up for some reason. But that's it for but, Psycho. What are we doing next? We what are, are we doing next? Next week we are going to go back to the well. It's been a while since we've watched a Charlie Chaplin film. We have seen The Kid. We've seen The Gold Rush. And next time we're gonna come back with uh, City Lights from I should have looked it up from whatever year <laughs> City Lights came out. It's Charlie Chaplin's City Lights from the year that City Lights came out, which is also 1931. There we go. City Lights. City Lights. We love City Lights. Is it a talkie? Did he actually ever end up doing a talkie? Yeah, the the Great Dictator. Oh, really? Okay. Because, yeah, yeah, we have have, uh, City Lights, Modern Times, and the Great Dictator to get through. So we'll get there someday. We, we gotta get through them. We gotta get... Well, that's actually getting through uh, Charlie Chaplin's big hits and the Marx Brothers' big hits are two of my big things for Retarded the Party. Uh, not that we're, you know, thinking about ending it at any time soon or anything like that, but it's 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 been a better part of a year since we've done either a Chaplin film or a Marx Brothers film, so maybe yeah. I'll, I'll follow City Lights with my next pick after that might be another Marx Brothers film again, but we'll figure out... I don't know, but next week will be City Lights, though. Yeah! Yes! Yes! Yeah. So. Daniel, I'm yeah, glad you chose this that. movie. This was surprisingly good. Yeah. Good times. Hopefully we can keep that trend up. 
Oh man, my housemate found out that we sh she loves Victor Victoria, and she was all like, because uh, her husband recorded the gun <laughs> last week's Gundam episode with me. She was like, I didn't know you hated Victor Victoria so much, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's 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 our base standard for horrible things. It's just like. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I felt kind of bad, because, I mean, I, we didn't shit talk her on the episode or anything like that, but I felt kind of bad, like, he was like, Victor Victoria's a pretty good movie, and I'm like, I, I, I take, I, I don't, I don't, like, I don't misjudge anyone who likes Victor Victoria, but, like, I was like, yeah. man, we, and I started listening to that Victor, Victor Victoria episode <laughs> last night, and you can tell how browbeat we were by that movie, because we are, like, legitimately <laughs> hateful right off the bat, oh, just like, like, we've sure. been molested by that movie. <laughs> We were. Oh my god. We actually fake end it because we just come out saying it sucks at the end. If we start rolling the end credits music, <laughs> I, I started laughing my ass off. And so, yeah. anyway, it, thank you for indulging me in this little bit of like, I listened to an episode of Road Show and I laughed really hard. It was funny. That's <laughs> fine with me. I'm a schmuck. Yeah, go back and listen to that episode. It was a good episode. It was like an early one, too. It was like episode like 23 or something. It was. Oh. Yeah. But anyway. Yep, so that's all we got for now. He's Mudder on Twitter, the Grumpy Turtle on Twitter, Tardy Podcast on Twitter, TardyPodcast.com. Give us a share around because you're the only people that will. Yes. God knows yeah. no no baby Jesus is going to come out and down and say, hey, everybody, listen to Tardy Party. They're so good. Yep, that's true. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Yep, so until next time, people in your holes with pop culture. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Take care, guys. <laughs>